In a September 1932 interview with Harper's Monthly, Thomas Edison said this about the secret of his success as an inventor. None of my inventions, he said, came by accident. I see a worthwhile need to be met and I make trial after trial until it comes. What it boils down to is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Trial after trial. Thomas Edison was persistent long after the thrill of inspiration had worn off. Our lives are often like that. We find ourselves on a long road of career or raising a family or retirement and eventually our initial excitement wanes. Sometimes we feel stuck in a rut, simply putting one foot in front of another day after day. Everyone who has had the luxury of living into adulthood has experienced that to some degree. So when we feel that way, we can be sure that we are not alone. Fortunately, God knows that life can be like this. He knows that it's easy to become tired and jaded, to feel stuck, to lose heart. So did the Apostle Paul. In our epistle lesson from 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4, Paul writes to Timothy, But as for you, continue, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is unfavorable or favorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. Continue, Paul says. Be persistent, not out of inertia or just because change can be difficult. Paul encourages Timothy, Timothy to persist in truth, in sound doctrine, because these things are valuable and easy to, stay, to stray from and are important to keep alive. They require continual restating and reinforcement. We need to persist in truth, not least to keep falsehood, delusion, and confusion at bay. Because if we're conscious, we are going to believe something. If not what is true, then our minds will latch on to what is not true. If we don't believe, teach, and confess sound doctrine, then our doctrine will be unsound. We will not simply believe nothing. In fact, we will believe anything. If it's not God's law that's written onto our hearts, it's going to be some other law, probably idolatrous. Nature abhors a vacuum, and so do our hearts, our minds, and our mouths. They will be filled with one thing or another, and Paul, in telling Timothy to persist in truth, recognizes that. To stay alive physically, we need to persist in eating good food, in sleeping well, and in regular motion and exercise. To stay alive spiritually, we need to persist in a steady diet of word and sacrament, of prayer and fellowship, of worship, evangelism, and service. 
If we don't persist in God's word, we'll start believing someone else's word and thus wander away into myths. And that's true not only of us as individuals, but of churches too, and of each generation. We need to persist in truth because, in the words of Samuel Johnson, we need more often to be reminded than informed. We need to persist in truth because there are so many alternatives to truth waiting to fill us. And not just any truth that we need to persist in, but essential truth. Who God is, that we belong to Him, God's grace toward us in Jesus Christ, and how God would have us live. These are essential truths in which we need to persist. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth that Jesus promised to send to his disciples. And if we have been steeped in scripture with God's law written on our hearts and our consciences comforted by God's grace toward us, then what comes out of our mouths and what we do in our actions will reflect that. By persisting in truth, we perpetuate truth and displace falsehood. We deny falsehood and slander the opportunity to germinate and grow. Persisting in truth may not make us popular, but as Paul takes pains to tell Timothy, the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ are worth suffering for. Now it's easy for me, who having suffered relatively little, to say that. But Paul was speaking from prison. He walked the talk. He was suffering even as he told Timothy to endure suffering for the sake of the truth. When suffering threatens, it's tempting for us to keep quiet, to wait for a perfect moment to speak. But no moment is perfect, so waiting for one is a failure to be the truthful witnesses that God calls us to be. And that doesn't mean that we should run our mouths all the time, spewing what we believe to be true. It does mean that we need to be ready and willing to take unpopular stands, speaking the truth in love. Usually this is best done after careful study of scripture, research into what faithful, thoughtful Christians have said about the issue, and supported by the prayer and advice of other believers. Knowing when to speak and when not to requires wisdom, including the wisdom of others. Even with the benefit of that wisdom, it can still be difficult to know whether speech or silence would be better, and in the case of speech, how best to say it. It can be hard to know which hill to die on. And in these moments, we clothe ourselves in humility, consult others, and step out in faith, trusting God to guide us and to care for us. Of course, persisting in truth requires us to examine what we believe and not merely to persist, assuming that we're right. Our doctrine must always be normed by God's word and not merely by our own habits or preferences. 
In our gospel lesson today, Jesus tells a parable about a widow who persists in petitioning a judge for justice, even though the judge is not just himself. His parable is part of a pattern in which Jesus has us consider the unrighteous to see the good that even they do and to consider how much more God, who is righteous, will therefore do for us. God also, Jesus also has us considered the undeserving, like the birds of the air and the lilies of the field who neither sow nor reap and realize how much more we will receive from God who values us even more than he does birds or lilies. Five weeks ago, for example, we heard the parable of the dishonest manager of whom Jesus said, the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. That is, even this scoundrel of a manager knew enough to exchange wealth that he could not keep for friends who would be there for him for many years to come. How much more, implies Jesus, should you, child of light, invest perishable wealth to obtain imperishable wealth? Similarly, Jesus says in today's gospel lesson, listen to what even the unjust judge does. Will he not grant Will and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? If even the unjust judge grants justice to the widow who persists with them, how much more will God, who is just and merciful, grant justice to those who seek it from him? Therefore, says Jesus, persist in prayer and do not lose heart. We need to hear that, especially when we're feeling like our prayers are just an exercise in futility. God hears our prayers. He has not forgotten us. Which, of course, is not the same thing as saying that God will give us whatever we want or whatever we perceive to be good. Part of prayer is reminding ourselves that we are not God. That God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours and that we see as through a glass, darkly. Prayer does not require us to say that everything that happens must be good, but it does require us to approach God with humility, and it reminds us of our limits. Austin Farr, a philosopher and chaplain at Oxford University in the 20th century, said, the recipe for believing is just to get the object in focus and to attend steadily to it. Much of what the habit of prayer does is to get the object of our faith, God, in focus and to keep us attending steadily to Him. Steadily, persistently, truthfully, and hopefully. This habit of prayer and of life is not a rut. It's not boring or futile. It's humble. It's courageous. It can be difficult. And it is well worth cultivating. For this pattern of faithfulness, and for his faithful persistence in caring for, forgiving, and encouraging us, thanks be to God.